Father in heaven, we're here to hallow your holy name, to make it known, to glorify you, our Father, through our deeds, through our worship, through our actions, through our hearts. I just pray as we sing, as we hear, as we love on one another, that you be glorified. I pray as we talk about the future and what's coming in the fall and, and just kind of direction that you've given us as leaders, Lord, may your, your people be excited about what you're doing because you are a great God and you're doing great things and we want to be a part of it. We're thankful we have been able to be. I pray for clarity, I pray for excellence, and I pray that your spirit would fall fresh on us in a, in a way that only he can so that we just love you more, that we love you with our whole hearts, minds, and strength, that we love others, our neighbors as ourselves. Be exalted and be glorified through this church and others, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Can you guys have a seat? <clears throat> Man, I've been singing too much today. I'm losing my voice. Sorry. I'm going to do a li- things a little bit different this morning. If you are visiting, um, this is kind of not the norm for us. Usually what we do is right now we open the scripture and I preach through a book of the Bible, through a chapter, through a verse whatever it is that we may be in. Currently, we're in a series called Bless the Lord. It is a series on Psalms where we're we're looking to cultivate worship in our church uh, and worshipers. And so we'll continue back on that next week. But this is kind of the last week for us statistically. Like, we're already down 10, 15% of our congregation. Next week, it'll jump to like 25%. And so we're grabbing most of you before you go off and do the mountains or the beach or whatever it is, just so that you guys know what's coming in the fall. When, you, when schools come back and everyone's kind of back and SCAD gets back and Armstrong and all these people kind of show up, what's going on? What's the kind of direction of where we're going? As a church, we desire, it is our, it is our job based on the New Testament to equip people to passionately follow Christ. Ephesians 4 has been given evangelists and teachers and pastors and apostles what for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So we Seek on a Sunday morning when we gather and in our community groups and what we do to equip you to, to be passionate followers of Christ, to, to have an impact for him wherever God puts you. Um, and so the four things we're going to talk about this morning that are kind of coming down the, the pike for us are just four areas of equipping that are going to be taking place over the next few weeks, months, and, and as we move into really in 2015 and beyond. And the first one, really the most important one, pertains to leadership. A couple of years ago, we preached through the book of Titus. Many of you were here for that. Titus is a book written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, he had planted several churches on the island of Crete. Now, Crete was known for just being a rowdy bunch of dudes, all right? Thus, thus we even in our English language, if you're a Cretan, you're not a nice dude, right? Well, the same was true then. They were a bunch of lazy Good for nothing, slugs. They had all these grown men acting like 12-year-olds. These, these, these ladies were bickering. These young parents have no clue how to raise children. You have employees stealing from their bosses and lying and not working hard and bosses being mean. And there's all sorts of fights in the church about little minor theological issues. All right, it was just a mess. The churches on Crete were a mess. And so Paul leaves his boy, who is like the Navy SEAL of Christians, all right, he is a Levi jean wearing, he doesn't wear no skinny jeans, all right, he wears Levi's, he's got some five o'clock shadow, he drinks coffee black, no cream, he drives a big Ford diesel, that's the guy he leaves on the ground, his name is Titus, and he's just a man's man, he's just kind of the guy for the hour, and his job was to bring order to the churches on Crete, and so Paul writes the letter 
to Titus for that very thing. And the book is basically a blueprint of how to bring the church back into order. All these churches that are a mess, how to bring them to order. And so in chapter one, verse five, he says, this is why I left you in Crete, Titus, so that you might put what remained into order. And the first thing he's supposed to do, the very first thing when to bring order to these churches and to to straighten out this chaos is to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. He starts with what? He starts with the leadership. Why? Because as go the leaders of the church, so goes the church. And so he says, Titus, get your diesel going and, and appoint good leaders, elders. Now, what you see in the church in America and beyond, there's three major styles or governing styles in the local church. And this is in America and also and beyond. You have, I mean, there's kind of hybrids and kind of mix and match, but there's three big picture ways in which churches are governed. And, and we have a background here, y'all. We got non-church, we got crazy church, we got everything church here. So some of you have been in a little bit of all of this. But the three major styles of governing in a church are this. Number one is what we call the Episcopalian model. It's based on the Greek word episkopos, which just means overseer or bishop. And in this structure, you have a dude at some level, he has a funny hat of some kind, he wears a collar, he does something, but he's the big guy, he's the, the chief muckety-muck, right? He sits on the stage with the big you know, cane or whatever and does his deal, right? But he calls all the shots in the entire denomination, and he's got bishops under him who then have bishops under them, and it works it's all the way down in the local church. So each local church has a bishop, and there's a bishop of the city, and there's a bishop of the, of the state, and then there's a bishop of the region, and there's a bishop of the, the country, and then you have the big guy at the top somewhere, Right? That's the Episcopalian model based on this word. And really, it kind of tries to model the apostles and what they did. So Paul is over these churches, and Peter's over these churches, and, and there's local, but he's kind of the big way. That's one model of government. You see it in Anglican, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Methodist, Roman Catholicism. That's their structure of government. Okay, That's one form. Another form is called the congregational model. And in this model, it basically functions like a democracy. The, the power is with the people. And so they have a lot of voting going on, right? So they vote on the pastor, they vote on the deacons, they vote on Krispy Kreme versus you know, Dunkin' Donuts, they vote on Coke versus Pepsi, they vote on some places on everything, right? Some of them do little voting, some of them do a lot of voting, but the idea is majority rules, right? Majority rules, and, and, that's the, and the, the rationale there is, well, everyone's a priest, the believer's a priest, and so everyone should have a say, Okay? And you see that in some Southern Baptists, you see that in some Assemblies of God, Pentecostal, a couple of non-denominational, it it kind of filters in those those areas. And then the third area you'll see, the third structure was called the Presbyterian form of government. It's based on the Greek word presbyteros, which just means elder. And in this structure, you have a group of elders who are usually locally based and they shepherd that local church, all right? once in a while, you'll have maybe a, what's called a session in some denominations, which kind of over maybe one or more churches. But for the most part, local guys on the ground shepherding that local church, elders, okay? Those are the big three. Now, there's hybrids. And in, 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 in the Presbyterian form, obviously, you have Presbyterians. You have some Reformed Baptists. You have Evangelical Free. You have non-denominational, like ourselves. And so that's, that's kind of the big three. And again, there's a mix and match, and there's some, a little bit of this, a little bit of that in some of these, but those are the big main ones. And understand this, we're not saying these are the sinful churches and these are the good churches. They're all sinful churches because we're sinners, 
All right, so that, that's not the point. God uses all these different type models. There is good churches in every single one of these, okay? So this is not a we're better than them, they're better than us kind of thing. But when you go to the New Testament, here's what you have to ask. What is closest to what they did in the early church? Because that's the model. And what we believe the closest model to the scripture is, is that number three, that Presbyterian model where elders shepherd the local church. You never see in the New Testament a church voting on anything. You see it in America, but you, you see it at the polls, but you don't see it in the early church. And the, and the reason why is majority rules is usually not good. The majority did not want to go with Moses. Only one guy, Moses, wanted to go that way. Everyone else wanted to go the other way. Who was right? Moses was right. Okay, so majority rule is typically not a good way to go, all right? And it's a great way to cause division and splits, Okay. You look at Corinthians. We like Paul. We like Paulus. We like Peter. We like Jesus. Okay, that, that's a lot of times what happens. And so it's not usually a great way. Um, the Episcopalian model is, is there's some similarities between what the apostles did and what they were doing at the local churches. The problem is there's no more apostles because no one has seen the risen Christ, all right, which was a requirement for an apostle. And if you look at the, the word episkopos and presbyteros, they are synonyms. Okay, they actually are talking about the same office. So Titus 1, 5, he says, this is why I left you, so that you would appoint elders. In verse 7 of Titus 1, he says, an overseer must be. He's talking about the same office. Bishops, elders, overseers, they're all the same office. It's just a different title, which usually talks about the different role of, of what they may be doing. And so there's no hierarchy seen in the scripture besides apostle, which is not existing anymore, because no, you had to see the risen Christ and do miracles. That was the requirement. There's a gift of apostleship, but the office apostle is gone with the last guy, John, who went home to be with the Lord, okay? And so the model that you closely see in the scripture is that third model is Presbyterian. And CBC has modeled itself as best as we can after that, where we are an elder-governed, staff-led church. The elders kind of function as the spiritual visionaries and kind of, this is what the church needs spiritually. And, and, and if there's discipline issues and there's direction issues, they do that. And the, and the day-by-day function is carried out by the staff. So if, we're, if there's a plumbing issue, the elders are not getting involved. If there's a donut issue, the elders don't need to worry about that, right? They need to focus on the spiritual nature of the thing. Where are the marriages going? Where are the kids? How are we equipping people? What are we doing to reach the lost? Those are the things the elders are f- talking about where staff and deacons and other folks are dealing with, okay, there's a, there's a hole in the wall. Who's going to fix it, okay? And that's, the, uh, that's how we are led as a church, and I think there's two advantages biblically to, to this model. There's more, more than that, but the big two are this. There's a plurality, number one. Every time you see it, there's always elders, plural, never elder. There's not one guy who you know, speaks ex cathedra and everyone's like, oh, all right, whatever he says goes, okay? And this gives accountability. This allows for arrogance to be dealt with if there is. It avoids that celebrity pastor syndrome. Um, if there's tyranny in leadership, it, it deals with that. It safeguards error when there is plurality, okay? And, and it is a good thing to have more than one. But also, there is an equality. There's plurality, but there is equality. If you are an elder, there is no elder with a little e. I was like, oh, that's Bill. He's certainly an elder because, you know, he went to the the Citadel and to Dallas Seminary, and he's clearly the most handsome on the board, so he's the biggie. And everyone else, he went to Georgia Southern. Uh, you know what I mean? It's not that, okay? It's, if you're an elder, you're an elder. Everyone is elder. There might be different gifts. There might even a little bit different functions, but they are all equal. 
Okay, and that avoids the Superman syndrome. Oh, but here's the real guy. Oh, he can't make a decision because he's not here. No, there's plurality and there's equality. Okay, that is essential. And this is what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, when he's writing to the church, he says, as a fellow elder, and this is Peter, this is big man. He said, I'm just a fellow elder. I'm one of y'all. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Fellow elder. So there's equality and plurality, and it's huge for us. It's a big thing for us. And so the big question then is, well, who gets to do this gig then? Who gets to be an elder? I mean, it seems like a good gig. So how do we, how do we apply, right? Do I have to get my MBA? Do I have to be a big giver? Am I the most popular? Do we get these guys over here to nominate me? How, wh- who, who can serve in the office of elder? Paul is very clear about that. In fact, two times over, he mentions those who are to fill the office of elder. In Titus 1, we're going to see, and then in 1 Timothy 3. And the qualifications are identical. He says this, if anyone is above reproach, that is the overarching principle of an elder. That is the main characteristic. They're above reproach. Not they're perfect, not they're sinless, but there is, there's a, a maturity there in Christ. They're not to be a new believer, he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, because they could slip into arrogance, all right? They are above reproach, and that looks like this. They're a husband of one wife. Literally, they're a one-woman man. That means they're completely devoted to the one spouse they are with, all right? That they are completely devoted to that person. They're not a wandering eye. They're not, they're not flirtatious. If they're not married, they're guarding themselves for the, and their purity for the potential future spouse. But they are a one-woman man. His kids are believers, or faithful is the Greek word. Pistis is the Greek word for faithful. They're not the most... Disobedient kids in the church. They're not perfect. Come to my house. You want to see sinful kids? Come on. Because they got a sinful dad, all right? There's a bunch of sinners in our house. But there's, there's, a, there's an issue where they're not the worst kids. They're not running around throwing water balloons at people in the middle of the service. They are under the headship of their dad, and he's leading them. Because he can't lead his house, and he can't lead the church. That's what Paul says. He has, as an overseer, there's your Greek word, Bishop or episkopos, synonymous with elder, an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He can't be arrogant. How bad is pride in leadership? He can't be quick-tempered. He's going to deal with a bunch of people who've got a bunch of issues. He can't be flying off the handle. He can't be a drunkard. He can't be violent. He cannot be greedy for gain. If he loves money, he is not fit to be an elder because he's going to be dealing with money. And if he's going to be kind of, you know, wanting to take a little bit here and take a little extra lunch, and do, then he's not worthy of the office, right? He's got to be not greedy for gain. He has to be hospitable, loves good. He's self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must know truth. Why? So he can guard the church from false teaching. And if he sees error creeping in, he deals with it, those who contradict. These are the qualifications based on 1 Timothy 3 and Titus. Again, not perfect, but a, but a maturing, mature believer, Okay? And here's why we're talking about it. As a church of almost 1,000 people on any given Sunday, we have five elders right now. We need more. We have for a while needed more. But we are not to lay hands on anyone quickly, according to Paul. And so what we started doing last fall as the current elders is identifying future potential elders. And we started talking, and we started praying. And, and the way our constitution right, kind of is written, says the elders identify future potential elders and so we started looking and praying, and we had a bunch of men that, were, that we felt fit the qualifications, but there was three men who we felt like it was the time and season for them to be elders at the church. And we watched them, and they didn't know we were watching them, which is always kind of scary for y'all, I know. But we wanted to make sure 
that they were these things apart from being knowing that they were being watched. Because we don't want a guy that says, yeah, I'll start shepherding now. But no, we wanted a guy that was already shepherding. He was already leading. He was already doing these things without being asked to do so. And so we identified three men. Uh, we met with these men. We met with their wives. We called people that knew them outside the church context because they have to have a reputation with those outside the church that is good. So we called people that knew them to make sure that they, hey, he's a knucklehead. He may teach Sunday school, but he's a jerk. You know, okay, good. We need to know that, right? Because if he doesn't have a good reputation, what is it? Oh, that guy leads over there, but he acts like this over here. And so that was significant. Um, and the next step per, again, the structure of our church is that we present these men to you, okay, as potential elders. And if you were a member of CBC, you have the opportunity now to say, I think this guy's good or I think this guy's not good. I think based on 1 Timothy 3 that he doesn't meet his qualifications or he does. It's not a vote. It's not, oh, I like him. He's got good glasses. Oh, he wears skinny jeans. I'm not voting for him. It's not that. It's, does they, do they meet the qualifications or not? And if you say no, great. Say no, write a reason and write your name. No anonymous. And then we will we'll, we'll contact you. It's not a 51% versus 49%. That's not how it works. We, if there's a significant spiritual issue, we'll work through that with the, with the person and with you and see where it goes. But we want you guys to have some feedback. And here's the guys that have been presented um, as, as, as men. And this is, a, this is like a mugshot. So don't, you know, you can make fun of them. The, the camera adds 10 pounds, but still, it's, it's, it's not a great photo. But here, here's the three men who have been identified. Uh, you, you should, if you've been around for any given time, know most of them. Jay Jeter, who is one of our deacons, who leads a small group out in, um, in a Pooler. And uh, he's just been a great guy behind the scenes and shepherding a lot of men and encouraging. Uh, he's one. Radford Harrell, coolest name in the church, Rad. Um, he uh, has been, again, behind the scenes and doing a lot of stuff. He's a deacon and uh, has been leading some men, and especially some of the younger men, and, and walking them through some things for some time now. And then there's our own William Kane, beardless. He's shaved. Now he looks 12 in the picture. But uh, I, I promise you he's not 12. He's like 13. Um, but... Uh, these are the three who have been identified, um, and we have been inviting them to some of our meetings to see how they fit on the team, um, because it's not just maturity. We, we want men who actually add something that we might not have in the room that might hit a blind side that we might have or not, and these men have added a lot already to the, the couple meetings they've been at, and uh, so great, great guys. We love them, um, and, and most of you guys know them or have seen them, so grab them, talk to them. Um, ask him, take him out to lunch, to ask him questions. You have questions. This is not like you got to sign the dotted line today and it's over. You have four weeks. Grab one of the ballots and, um, and drop it in the box when you're done uh, or mail it in, whatever. Pray about it. Um, but we are presenting these guys to you. And it's a significant thing because as shepherds, you're going to place yourself under their care and authority. They're going to pray for you. Uh, they're going to uh, counsel you. They're going to encourage you. They're going to be these guys that we go to. And so uh, it's important. Um, and so... We value them, and, and they're good men, and so uh, we take that seriously. So that's the first thing we're talking about equipping today. Um, second thing is dealing with um, just where we're at as men and women. We as a church, are, we believe wholeheartedly that life change takes place best in the context of community. Um, we teach the Bible, and we, we want people in biblical community, and those are the two strategies we use to see God bring about life change by his spirit. And so we want to present more opportunities, as many as we can, for you guys to be engaged with, with biblical community. And specifically, 
with, with guys getting with other men and, and being around other men and ladies being with other ladies. We have community groups. We have 30-plus community groups that meet locally, but we, we're trying to provide more opportunities for that. And so after Labor Day, we're starting a couple new things. Ladies, there's been kind of a, an underground group that's met here at the church for about two years. It's no longer underground. We're, we're bringing it out of the ground, and we're inviting you to that on Thursday mornings. Uh, there's child care. Uh, it's a group of ladies who get together, pray, encourage one another. Uh, they study books. They do all those sorts of things. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, but I work. Ah, ha, ha. But we are also providing now an evening group as well. So for those of you who are like, I can't. I got to go to work. I got to drop off the kids. We're providing an evening group for the ladies as well. It will not meet at the church because no one likes coming to the church in the dark, okay, uh, at 8.30 at night. And so we are looking for a location that's within a couple miles of here. We love Richmond Hill, and we love the island, and we love Pooler, but we really want to stay around the building if possible. So if you are like, oh, I have a house that can fit 20 ladies, call the church. Um, we have the leadership. We just don't have the location yet, and we have a couple months. But So we are providing opportunities for ladies to get together and talk about just, just biblical womanhood. Uh, and they're going to do that starting after Labor Day, okay? So we're excited about that. Men, we're going to do the same for you guys, only we are going to do it in the morning. Uh, we are going to start after Labor Day. A, it's going to be a curriculum kind of base that we are stealing from other churches who have done a great job. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. It's already been done. But we are going to take just good teaching on biblical manhood, and we're going to, for the next, really, it's a two-year curriculum, six, seven weeks at a time, boom, Come back in the spring, six, seven weeks at a time, boom. Come back in the fall, six, seven weeks at a time, boom. And we'll in two years cover kind of a good, good kind of biblical manhood, what it means to be a man, single, married, whatever it is, dad, granddad. We just want some men to rise up and be men. And so it's not going to be kind of, you know, ladies are going to meet more probably regularly every week. We're going to meet for seven weeks and be done. And we'll come back in the spring and meet for seven weeks. The idea is not men for you to come on the first week and the seventh week and be like, oh, that was great. The idea is, all right, we're going to start right at 6.30, get your coffee, I'm going to teach for 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes maybe, we're going to break you into groups with other men, you can talk and get to know these men, and then boom, go. And then after the seven weeks is over, you can continue to meet with these men weekly. We already have a group of men that meet Friday morning at the churches for prayer and encouragement. They split off more groups like that, so there's accountability, there's more um, life on life going on with the men as well. That's what's going on in the fall. We're excited about it. We've been wanting it for a while, but we don't want to ever do anything until we can do it well. We feel like we're in a place in a season we can do it well now, and we have the leadership structure in place. So that's going on after Labor Day. So equipping with new elders, equipping men and women in those areas. Let's talk a little bit about students, all right? We, we love our kids. We love our students. And our desire as a church is to not replace the parents. We are not the parents. You are. But we do want to come alongside you and encourage you and provide opportunities for your kids to get in community with other middle schoolers and high schoolers, to teach them to be in a place where, you know, with how, depending, you know, I know you think you're cool parents, but you're not. So we're going to put cool people with the kids that love Jesus so that they can see, hey, there's a 22-year-old that, that's kind of like me. My dad wears these, these pants, and they're so ugly, and he doesn't know it, All right? So we're going to put some, some folks in their lives to teach them and encourage them. It's kind of the next phase of life up for college and beyond. Um, we have recently hired a high school, middle school resident. Um, he is an international man of mystery. He's a man of many names. We haven't settled on one yet. His official name is Talavo, but we're not going to call him that. Uh, Sweet Tea, Tea Dog, Salvo, we're figuring it out right now. But um, he has come, and he's here, so I'll ask you to stand. I was going to put your picture up, but why don't you stand up anyway? Come on. 
And Bess, you can stand up too. I'm going to embarrass you both. Come on. All right, if you recognize Bess, that's because she was an original CBCer uh, from back in the day. Went to SCAD, was here for several years, Young Life leader in town. We have been supporting them for three years as they've been on, on staff with Young Life Aiken. Uh, and so now he is here to encourage and teach high school, middle school kids alongside with Ethan. And just a very gifted teacher. Just a good teacher. God has given him a spiritual gift of teaching, and so he's going to be teaching. So he's going to start teaching the middle school kids after we launch back in the fall. Um, and here's the change. Here's the big change. Here's the big shocker. Some of you are going to be like, no, but just hold on till the end. Okay, it's just a surprise at the end, all right? We are going to no longer have on Sunday morning the high school class. Ah! No, okay, don't, don't spaz. Just listen. Here's why. Number one, we need the classroom because we got a lot of little kids. Okay, that's going to free up a classroom for us. But here's what we want from our high school kids. We want you serving, quite honestly. You have energy and you have two hands and we need you. And we want you to be prepared. You're going to be 22, 23 years old someday. Believe it or not, it's going to happen. And we want you to be ready to jump into a church and serve. And the first time you serve in a church, we don't want it to be when you're 23 years old. We want to get you ready now. Because the reality is this, parents, your kids are probably not going to end up at CBC in 10 years. They're going to be in Atlanta. They're going to be in Macon. They're going to be in Birmingham. They're going to be somewhere else. And you want to get them ready to be a functioning member of a local church somewhere. And that starts now. And so what we want to do is we want to throw these high school kids into ministry with their parents or wherever else. we got plenty of places for them, I promise. All right, we're already thinking about where are we going to put them, right? So we got all these things. Now, that said, we are providing a teaching option for them. We are going to start a brand new thing. We don't have a name for it yet. It's going to be something cool, I'm sure, like Verge or Surge or something cool. It will not be Big D, which is what it's called now, which is like a Pepto commercial. Okay, we're not going to call it. That was a cane I don't know how we got Big D. I don't know how that happened, but it, we did. It won't be Big D. We won't be having the Big D every week, okay? Um, we are going to do it on Sunday evenings here at the church where Talavo and his team, he will teach. There will be worship. There will be community groups for these kids. Um, it'll be Ethan and, and Talavo leading it, but we're going to really try to get these kids to start raising up new worship leaders and new community group leaders. And they, These are the future of the church. This is, this is the future. And were we 60, 70, years, 80 years old, some of you now? This is the next generation of leaders, and we want to get them ready. And so we're going to provide that opportunity. Talav is going to teach through books of the Bible like we do on Sunday morning. So it's not just going to be some random, like, whatever, you know, having races in the sanctuary or something like that. They will be equipping. But we're excited about it. It's a place where they can bring their friends, they can have some community, uh, and they can be encouraged and challenged to reach out to their schools uh, and their baseball teams and their football teams and their soccer teams and whatever it is. And so we're excited about that. And Talavo and Ethan are going to do a great job. They have a passion for students. Uh, Bess has been passionate about students for many years with Young Life as well. So she'd be a great asset to that team. We're excited um, about what's going to take place there. And so that is what it's going to be in the fall. Talavo's second best asset besides Bess's wife is the fact that he is a Gamecock fan. And so, yes, sir, I got one. Now I need a Phillies fan, and I'm gold on this staff, baby. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm recruiting. I'm recruiting, I'm telling you. So, uh, so we're excited about them coming, and he started two weeks ago, and uh, they're expecting a little baby in the fall, and we're pumped about that. So, um, so we got new elders, new stuff for, for men and women, new stuff for middle school and high school, and the final thing is this. We need more seats, obviously. Um, we're 15% down, and there's not many seats in here. Um, for many of you, 
maybe it's your first day, and I had a bunch of visitors in the second service, and so they were like, oh, that's great to hear your story. If you've been through the start here, you've kind of heard our story, but let me, let me share kind of briefly the story of CBC. Seven years ago, seven years ago this past March, God called me and my wife, and at that time, three children down to Savannah, Georgia, and we became the pastor of CBC Savannah. We met with a group of 20 to 30 folks in the Johnny Harris Banquet Hall on Victory Drive. Many of you have never seen the pictures. I got pictures. Diane Davis, thank you. She had pictures on her computer. Here is, it's, I know it's a little dull, but here is CBC Savannah five years ago, six years ago, right? Got the, these great chairs. It always smelled like beer from the night before. It was beautiful. Um, this was the nursery, okay? This was an old Shoney's, and so Shoney's all had like the smoking section over here. Um, and that, so it was the old Shoney's. Um, this was the nursery. This was the high school classroom. It was the kitchen, a.k.a. the liquor closet, and the uh, place where all the, all the cockroaches were and the butcher knives. Um, so this was CBC at its, at its beginning. How many of you were here in the Johnny Harris's? Raise your hand. I got a couple. Okay, we got some Johnny Harris's. Okay, good. Very cool. Um, so some of us were here. So this was our every Sunday. We had the, had the trailer, set up nursery stuff, broke down nursery stuff. Um, while we were doing that, these two guys would sit around and do nothing. Um, for those of you who haven't been here for a while, this is Peter Smith. He was one our first kind of associate pastor. He's up at his church in Connecticut now. That's Greg, who is beardless and much younger, uh, one of your elders. Um, so, and this was our entire first through fifth grade class at the time. Uh, there was like six of them. Okay. And look how young those guys are. That's, that's many years ago. There's Maddie, the pianist extraordinaire, and... Uh, these kids are all 14, 13 years old now. So that was them. Here is, I love this one. This is your worship leader, uh, extraordinary, 18 years old, senior at Savannah Christian High. Uh, I threw him up there, and, and now look at him. He's high school leader, worship leader. He's got a beard and a wife. Look at that. Go ahead. Uh, so still wears flannels, though. Okay, that's a good thing. Uh, but what happened is we spent two and a half years at the Johnny Harris, and eventually we ran out of seats. We ran out of seats. We had college kids standing in the back, uh, people, because we got to 100, 110 people, and there was just no more seats. And so what we started praying, and we were starting looking, and somehow in God's providence, we came in contact with the people of South Gardens Baptist Church. We got any South Gardens folks in this service? No, they're up. Oh, there we go. We got one in the back. Very good. Two in the back. Very good. My neighbors, Walter and Marios. Um, and there was 15 or so of them. And started a conversation, and in August of 2009, they gave us this building. They provided seats for us as a church. And here's what it looked like. I'm going to give you a flashback, Walter and Mary Alice, so just kind of don't, don't pass out here. This is what CBC looked like when we first moved in, all right? Um, the gold was beautiful, man. That was so 78. I mean, I love it. But, but there was pews. Uh, we had a choir loft. We had doors, and they're still technically back there somewhere. We could hammer them if you wanted to. But this was this is what we moved into. This is where you're at right now. The wood paneling was great. Um, the back, this is kind of what we looked at. Um, we kind of slowly transformed it, put some chairs in. Eventually, the McGinney boys painted the whole sanctuary, and we got to kind of, you see, that this is funny, okay? Three, three funny things. This is insider jokes, but these lights, if you were in the balcony, you couldn't see the screen. And the big speaker was like right here. You couldn't see the screen. So no one wanted to go to the balcony. You think it's hot, but you couldn't even see. It was hot and you couldn't see. Um, <laughs> the piano blocked the door. So if you came in through there, you'd be like, oh, and you go back around. You have to turn around and go to the other door. Okay. <laughs> so 
And then for the worship team, remember that there was a brick. You can't barely see it. This brick held up the drum set. Okay, so there was a, the drum set, everybody's like, why do you have a brick on? It's holding up the hi-hat, that's why. Okay, and so there, it was very CBC. Right? Just from the beginning, it was like very us. But what happened is, we had a need for seats. Someone provided seats. And a year and a half later, by God's grace, we grew, and we needed more seats, so we went to two services, the following fall. We had an early 8 o'clock service, and we had a late 11 o'clock service. And someone, some people woke up early, provide seats. And then what happened a year and a half later? We needed more seats. And so we had to go to three services the following January. And that's when the staff really got stressed, okay, and got tired. But we did that for a year and a half. And God continued to bless. And this past May, we had to go to a fourth service on Saturday night because somebody needed seats. And, and that's where we're at. And so Months ago, we told you and shared, we, we pursued a couple other facilities in town that really, no one was really interested in talking to us, and so we felt like, look, we, we have people coming, and we have no space, and so what are we going to do? We're going to build. Um, God led us to build, and here's kind of the, the, the model of what we're building. You've seen it on the website. It's still on par for spring of next year. They're working on some electrical challenges with the engineers right now, but there's a bunch of stuff in the ground. I know that. They've got all their sewage and stuff done. Here's, here's kind of the model. It, it's a sanctuary that seats 750 people. So we can go to two services, which is like hallelujah, cut those in half, and we can fit 500 more people. We're providing more seats for people to come worship. Um, and and that's, that's what's coming up next. But, but here's what you need to know. That building is not the end goal. Like the, oh, now we've arrived. We're in Beulah land, Okay. That is just a place where more people can come to worship Christ and to hear the word of God. It's, it's more seats. But the goal is not just to build a facility and kind of be there. We have always had a desire, and God hasn't opened the door yet, but we are ready when he does. We want to plant churches, and we want to plant churches in Savannah. That is our heart. That is our goal. In fact, we want to go west, young man, we want to plant in the Pooler area, and we want to do it yesterday. We do. We've wanted to do it for a long time, and God closed the door, but we want to do that. And that, that's coming. That's on the horizon. It's not just, oh, bring everyone downtown and fill up the building. We want to put that there to equip people, bring a few more people, and give them some space, and then we want to move west, and we want to plant a campus out west. And we want you guys to be in your community, and we want to have live preaching and preach out there, and what that looks like exactly, we don't know, but it, there will be live people, and we'll probably be kind of rotating or whatever or doing that. But that is the heart. We want to plant churches. And I know you're thinking, well, come to Richmond Hill. Maybe we will. Come to the island. The island, we're, we're jumping over on the island. The island's got people coming all the time. We just want to plant churches in this town. That is the heart, right? We want to provide more seats for people because people are coming. And, and as I was thinking about this and how to share this with you guys, this is the passage that came to mind. Revelation chapter 3. Paul, I mean, excuse me, Jesus is speaking to the church in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, who, by the way, swept the Braves last week, but we won't talk about that. He says this. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little 
power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Here's a church, and this is what I feel like very often, y'all, that we have a little power. We're just a church of a little power, a little group of folks meeting a Johnny Harris, a little group of folks who got a, a brick holding up their drum with wood paneling, a little church is meeting in a neighborhood, and let's be honest, if you were not invited to this church by someone, you would never even know this church was here. It's a little church with a little power, with a little broken pastor who quite often doesn't know what he's doing, with a, a, a group of men who are just trying to, as close as we can, pursue Christ and lead. It's just a church of a little bit of power, yet God has set an open door before us. Why has he done it? I do not know. But I can tell you this. This is a church that has a little bit of power and God has done something, y'all. I can tell you, I've talked to some of our folks this morning. You could ask any one of the original elders and the original people. If you would have asked them, in seven years, do you think you'll be the spiritual home of about a thousand people on a Sunday? None of them would have said, yeah, that's going to be us. None of them. Because we would have never thought it because we were just a little rabble a little group of people who are just trying to pursue Christ and preach Christ. And this is what God has done. It has been all him. Do not think that I just, oh, I read all the church strategy books and, and that's what we did. We plugged in the formula. That did not happen. It is not what happened. All we have done, let me just tell you the, the secret of our church. We have kept his word and we haven't denied his name. I have, for the last seven years, in a broken, flawed way, got up as best as I can. I've studied the scripture, and I've just kind of taught it to you. They have not been the greatest sermons ever, I promise you. But we have been faithful to the text, and that we have given glory where glory is due to Christ and Christ alone. And we have exalted him and not us, because we are not God. And because we have, for some reason, he has been gracious to CBC, and he has given us an open door. And it's been all him. And so if you're thinking, you need to talk to my pastor and see what they did, We'll be like, oh, we don't know. We sang some songs. We preached the text. We pointed people towards Christ. We equipped them as best we could. It's been what God has done from day one. It just has. And he's, he's just blowing our minds. And the numbers are not what's impressive here. You know, you can, oh, we've done. The numbers are not what matters. What matters is this. People's lives have changed. That's what matters. We have had people who were walking in darkness. They were now walking in light. We have had people who knew nothing about the Bible or nothing about Jesus. Now they're telling all their friends about Jesus. We have folks that are the very first believer in their entire family. Folks that were addicted to drugs now have freedom. Folks who were legalistic and felt guilty all the time who have found freedom in Christ. People who have experienced forgiveness of all types of sins through Christ. And he has changed lives and he has changed marriages. And we have teenagers who have a passion for Jesus. Some of you, some of you men, you hated church. You've told me. Your wife drug you. And now you are the ones who are leading your families to church. We have seen that happen. We have people telling me, and it happens all the time. They're like, we never thought we would come to a church like CBC. I don't know how to take that. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, great. Right? But that's what God, and that's all been God. That is the story that matters. Changed lives. We have sent countless college kids on the mission field, some full-time now. And that's just the things that we can see. You, 
you don't, you don't know all that goes on because there's just too much. But when you give here and you serve here and you worship here, you are part of something that God is doing, not just in Savannah. There's things going on in Savannah. We got folks in nursing homes. We got folks in prisons. We got folks down at the Savannah Center saving lives weekly at the, from, from people who are seeking abortion. Right? We have that going on. But we are supporting church planners in the Philippines. We are supporting pastors in, in Italy. We have a church planner in England. We've sent two people in the last six months, full-time, one to Nicaragua, one to Uganda. We have six pastors in Vietnam. We are their salary. They are full-time pastors because of us. We, we support their full-time. They can actually do full-time ministry because CBC supports them. Never met them. Don't know any, I don't know their names. I can't pronounce them. But that's, that, we, that is what you are a part of. And you don't even know it. We got college kids on, on Auburn's campus. We got young lifers all over the place. God is doing something because you have, in essence, been providing seats for other people. And we're so grateful you have. So the goal is not just that building. Yes, that's great. We'll have a bigger place. The air condition will be much better. And the stage will be bigger. But the goal is not, that's not the goal. The goal is to provide more seats for God to have continually open the door and people to come. And we'll trust that he is going to do it. And here's why I talk about this all, all together. Just to let you know what's going on. The elders of this church take very seriously stewardship. Very seriously. It is not our money. The resources that you give to God, we do not see that as ours. It's not like, oh, we're going out to eat. We're going to do this. We don't all drive in nice cars. We see it very serious. It is God's money, and we, we take it that way. And we have been very careful with the money that, that God has given us, so much so that we are absolutely debt-free, and we have paid cash for every single thing we've ever done. At the same time, over the last four years, I told Sharon, our financial guru, I said, start putting money away every week, just a little bit here, a little bit there. And every year we've added, as we've added people, we added that giving and added that savings. And we've always given more to missions. Every time our budget goes up, we give more to missions and we are able to be benevolent with people in the neighborhood and people in the church and pay bills because sometimes there's that need. But in the meantime, we have been able to save up approximately $880,000 in that ballpark, okay, to pay for this building, okay? The building is going to cost $1.8 million, it's a very simple structure. It's going to be nice, and, you know, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be you know, the, the Vatican or something. Okay, don't, don't expect the Vatican, all right? But it's going to be a place where we can worship. We, don't, we want you to be able to get married there, ladies, if that's, or your daughters to get married. We don't want it to be like, you know, some like, you know, kind of don't want to bring people here, right? So we want it to be nice. We want it to feel like a church, but it's not going to, we're not going to gild the lily. It's just going to be a nice place for us to gather and preach. But it's going to cost $1.8 So as of right now, we basically have either paid for or saved about half of that building which is great. I mean, we, our goal was to borrow as little as possible and to pay it off in less than five years. That was the goal from day one because we hate debt and we don't want to be in debt and so and debt is going to cripple us and we want to do what? We want to plant churches. And if we have all this debt over here and we're putting everything here, we cannot plant churches. So I've been challenged by the elders of this church and by many of the wise businessmen in this church who are just godly men who God is using greatly in their communities that I need to be a better job, in essence, of making known the need to you guys of what's out there. And so that's what I'm doing. We would love, as a church, to move into that building debt-free. And to do it, it will take $900,000, which sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. My yearly salary, I know, I'm just kidding. 
Just lighten you up a little bit, okay? <laughs> if you know anything about me or this church, you know that I don't, I rarely talk about money. If the text doesn't talk about money, I don't talk about money. And some of you are like, you're your first time in church, and you're like, I'm talking about money. I know it. This is probably the like, third time in seven years I've talked about money. We don't talk about money. We don't even take an offering at this church. And you'll know that we, we don't even take an offering. So it's not that we talk about money all the time. But I want to present this need to you guys. $900,000, as long as everything stays on track, pays the building off. And we move into it debt-free. And we can plant churches quick. That's the goal. Now, is God going to do that? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So that's his business. All right? But we're presenting that need to you. Here's why. We have a super generous church. So much so that we're out of debt. We've been saving. We're generous. You guys are great. So we're asking you this. As a couple, as an individual, if you have the ability to give a a one-time gift to this building or to give a little bit more here and there, over there, we're just asking you to pray about that as a couple. Come together. Maybe think about a number in your mind and come together as a couple. Pray about it. Whatever it takes some, some cheerfulness, because God loves a cheerful giver. Maybe it takes a little bit of faith in your part that God would stretch you in this. He's stretching me and even mentioning it, because I hate talking about it. But I'm going to do it because God has called me to do it. We just want to get to Pooler and beyond quicker. And if God does that next fall, great. If he does it the following fall, great. But that is our heart. It is not to build the next biggest whatever in this town. We are not trying to compete. We are not trying to build the mega whatever. That is not our heart. Our heart is to provide seats for people to hear this and to worship Christ. That is the heart. We want to see people's lives change. We believe this book does it. And so we're just trying to provide more seats to do it. So if, that, if God puts that on your heart, we're not going to ask you to give a certain amount or pledge this. You pray about it. Seek God's face in it. And whatever he tells you to do, do it. That's all we're asking. And if he raises it all, awesome. And we will celebrate. And if he doesn't raise it all, and he raises half of it, we will celebrate. And we will still plant churches, God willing, and we'll still worship him, and we will still keep his word. That's the heart of the church, right? And that's what we want to do. Four things. Elders, men and women, high school, middle school, equipping new people in new seats. And we are excited about it. Look, and again, I'm not promising If you give, you're going to get rich, and I'm going to sell you vials of water from the Jordan River. I'm not promising anything. I'm promising you this. When you invest in the kingdom of heaven, and you store up treasure there, it's not wasted. And I can promise you this. The elders of this church, we are not going to waste what God is doing. We don't want to waste an open door. We have been given, CBC, an exciting thing to be part of this work. I talked to, again, one of our missionaries this week because we picked up the two new pastors from, from Vietnam, and, and he said, Bill, I go, I go to churches all over America all the time, and what you guys have at CBC, and he preached here last year, so he knows, that what you guys have at CBC is very unique right now. Usually people are calling them up saying, well, we gotta, we got to drop our missionary support, sorry, we're just kind of, so you guys are picking up, you guys are, you're, you're seeing growth, you're, you're being wise with your, so you guys have something unique. We get to be a part of something, y'all. It's exciting. It is exciting to see God move and change lives. We get to be a part of that. God is allowing us that. And we want to see it continue. A door that is open, what no one is able to shut. So we will keep faithful to his word, and we will not deny his name. And we invite you to be a part of that and to be a part of the story. You know, in seven years from now, I'm going to be showing pictures of y'all. Remember that? Remember the air conditioning unit? Remember that? All right. 
You get to be part of the story of what God is doing. That's exciting. It's an exciting thing. And so we invite you to be part of it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to worship because we're, we want to be cultivating worship and we want to worship. So praise team, you guys coming up. Here's what I want to do for the first song. The praise team is going to lead us and I want us to pray. Four, three services now, this will be our fourth. We've had the entire church praying. How great is that? Eight, 9,000 people praying on a Sunday morning. And I want you to pray for one of four things. Pray for one of these four things. Or pray for all four. Or pick two of them. Pray for the high school, middle school kids. Pray for, pray for the building. Pray for these new elders. Pray for the men and the women in this church. Pray for one of these things over this time. As they lead us, just quietly in your seats. Get on your knees if you want. Come down front if you want. I don't care. Just spend some time praying. And pray through the week. And then we'll stand as Blake leads us and we'll sing together. Let me pray. Father, as we desire to glorify you, um, be honored, be exalted as we pray, as we worship. Father, we, we trust you and your provision. If you raise all these funds or none, uh, we still love you and know that you are good. I pray that our people would step out in faith in this. I pray for these new men who we feel like you have called to shepherd. We pray for Talavo and Ethan as they lead high school, middle school. We pray for the men and the women in this church that we would rise up in a, in a culture who doesn't understand biblical manhood and womanhood, that we would go against the grain and exalt you. Let our works be seen by men that they may glorify you, our Father who is in heaven. We'll give you the glory in Christ's name I pray. guys for letting us shepherd and lead this church. I just wanted to, you don't know how often this passage that says we have a little, but a little power, you don't know how often that rings true. And we, as your elders and staff, make all sorts of mistakes and sometimes just don't know what to do and we just are trying to, to seek Christ and see what his will is. But thank you for just letting us lead. It is a privilege to be part of this church. And thank you for you guys, what you do in inviting people and loving on people and, and reaching people and caring for people, that, that is the church. You guys are doing a great job, and we just want to keep going, and we want to keep seeing God use it. And so don't stop. Be excited about what God is doing. You may not see it sometimes, but he is using you, uh, and he is, is doing things and changing lives. And so it's a privilege to be part of this and just to be able to see where God has taken us, and we want to keep going. And so thank you for what you do. Let me close. Just again with the words of Jesus to his church. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.